Today we continue our, our series, More Than Enough, where we're um, exploring the good news of um, throughout the gospel that is that there is enough, that we are enough. Last week we explored how um, that we are enough to love and that God's love is enough for us. Um, this week we're going to explore how our knowledge is enough, how our knowledge of God's goodness and love is enough to give us hope in the difficult times we might face in life. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 13th chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning with the first verse. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings? Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will left be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're now well into the middle of one of my favorite times of the year, and that is college football season. <laughs> my, my team, uh, Michigan State, uh, lost yesterday, uh, unfortunately, but it's still a, a wonderful time of year to, to celebrate and um, watch football and, and have good times with friends and family. I still remember the first time I, I was able to go to Spartan Stadium in, in, at Michigan State to watch a game. I was uh, probably seven or eight years old, and my dad took me to the what is a state holiday in Michigan when Michigan and Michigan State play each other. And uh, I still remember walking into the doors of that stadium for the first time and seeing how big the, the risers were, how many people were there, how loud everything was, how exciting it was. It was an electric feeling, one I will never forget. Now, my guess is that this is something like what Jesus' disciples might be thinking in our passage today, as they're standing in awe of the temple court in Jerusalem. Uh, as much as we in the church today have a, a kind of glorified view of the 12 disciples, uh, to Mark, these guys were simple folks, Judean fishermen from small towns living a simple peasant life. In other words, they were good old country boys. They were just good old country boys who have finally made it to the big city of Jerusalem. It was likely the first time that any of them had seen David's holy city. And it was likely the first time they had seen the temple. But as good Jewish folks of their day, they also knew the importance of the temple. And as dedicated of fans as we might be to our particular schools, the, the Jewish understanding of the temple had a far greater significance than, than we can imagine. 
They knew that the temple was not only the place of God's presence, but it was also the defining place of their national identity. It was a big part of who they were, who they saw themselves to be, and where they believed God and God's self resided. This is a sort of pilgrimage for these good Jewish fishermen, seeing the place of God's presence and their national identity. They marvel at the massive and wonderful buildings around them. They tell Jesus, hey, do you see these big stones and buildings around us? But Jesus responds in a pretty troubling way, doesn't he? He says, oh yeah, all that's going to soon crumble. Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Wait a second, Jesus. What did, what did you just say? You can imagine how taken aback they would be. The place where we find our identity as the people of God will soon be nothing but dust and rubble. These were troubling words to the disciples. But Jesus wasn't stopping there. Later, a few of the disciples ask him about more of these signs to come. Jesus replies, the end is still to come. Ahead, you can look forward to wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, disasters, imposters coming in my name. All these bad things will take place. In other words, just because Jesus has come doesn't mean that the world is going to all get much better anytime soon. It doesn't mean that life will necessarily be easier. If anything, Jesus tells us it's the opposite. This is the unflattering, uh, worthy view of discipleship that Mark illustrates for us. To be clear, this isn't a view of discipleship that anyone is going to put on a bumper sticker for their car. That to follow Jesus means following a rough and dangerous road. It seems to me, though Mark doesn't paint a flattering portrait of discipleship, it is one we can relate to today. We may not be witnessing something as devastating as the destruction of the temple, but we are witnessing similar crises of faith. The institutional church, the one that many of us love and grew up with, the one that was the pivotal part of the community, has declined drastically over the past half century, is no longer as influential as it once was. The pandemic that we've been living through for the past 18 months certainly hasn't helped, as we've all had to constantly adapt everything we do. We've seen a massive rise of the nuns, that is, people who do not identify with any faith tradition, uh, and this group has increased the past several decades. In the church, the place where faith is discovered and nurtured, the place where we're reminded of God's presence each week, seems to be constantly on the decline creating a crisis of faith, not just in our nation, but all around the world, all around God's creation. And like Jesus says to his disciples, we also see each week on the news so much violence and tragedy. We see many trying to lead us astray as lies and divisive speech continue to flood our public squares. And every week it seems like some act of violence has taken over the news causing people of faith to echo the old lament uttered by so many over the years. How long, O oh Lord? If we look back to our text, we discover that Mark is writing in a pretty turbulent time. 
And it's a time that might give us a little bit of context for, for Jesus' words here. He's writing, Mark is, in the midst of the Jewish-Roman war, which resulted in the destruction of the temple and virtually all of the city of Jerusalem. Everything Mark's audience had believed about God's presence was changing drastically right there before their eyes. They believed God's presence resided in the temple. They believed Christ's resurrection meant the world had become a better place, but the reality was so different. Neither of these things were so. And so these final words of Jesus to his disciples, illustrated by Mark, are really in context a pastoral, a comforting response. They say that the temple, the place where we once looked for God's presence, is now no longer a place. It is embodied in the risen Christ himself. He is the new temple. And Christ's redemption of this broken world has begun, but it is not complete yet. This is what theologians uh, repeatedly refer to as the already and the not yet present reality of the kingdom of God. There will, be, there will continue to be difficult things, troubling things. And while these are terrible things, things we so often associate with death and destruction, we know, friends, we know enough of God's story to trust that these horrible things are not signs of the end. They're not signs that evil is one, but rather a sign of God's new world radically breaking in, taking shape, and we know enough, friends, that to know that one day all these things that are against the will of God, that are against God's way of peace, love, and justice, anything that stands in the way of that will one day be no more. The role of disciples as ones who follow Jesus is to trust in who we know God to be, to trust we know who will have the last word, to know that God's love will always triumph over evil and suffering and death. Friends, as we live in the midst of brokenness all around us today, our knowledge of who God is for us in Christ is enough to give us hope for who ultimately is in control of human history. We can't pretend to know all the answers. And it's healthy to, to name the ways that we don't understand. But we know enough. Friends, we know enough to trust in the goodness of God, winning out over everything that stands in God's way of love, peace, and justice. As a young pastor, as a person who has committed my life and career to the church, I am frequently asked, aren't you afraid of the decline of the church? My answer is always no. I'm hopeful. Hopeful because I know there will always be a church. There will always be a community of disciples, of believers. Will it look like the church I know and love and was raised in as a child? Probably not. But this is where my hopefulness comes in. I'm hopeful that though the institutional church as we know it is changing rapidly, we can also trust that God is doing a new thing among us. To be sure, I'm anxious, but I'm also hopeful. Regardless of how tall our steeples might be in 50 years, I'm confident that the church will continue to be a place where God's presence is felt 
a place where faith can be nurtured, a place where we can share God's love, a place where we can faithfully anticipate the day when all will be one in Christ and anything that stands in the way of God's love for all of us will be no more. I trust that in the face of tragedy and catastrophe, the church will, be, will continue to be a place that will weep and mourn and cry out, How long, O Lord? I trust that in the face of such events, the church will also remain hopeful. Hopeful that these are not signs that evil is one and the end has come, but rather the birth pangs of a new reality where the light of God will shine in places it never has before. Friends, we may not understand everything going on around us, but we know enough. We know enough the love of God that is known and experienced in Christ, and we know who will ultimately have the last word. You know how we know that? Today we get to celebrate all saints, and in our Presbyterian Reformed tradition, we, don't, we, we might acknowledge the formal saints in, in some of our brother and sister traditions that, that have sainthood processes and whatnot, but in our tradition, we say that every person of faith who, is, who has finished this life and now rests eternally with God is a saint, and we celebrate them today and give thanks to God for their life. We know enough because of the faith and witness of these folks that we'll be celebrating today. The folks who have taught us who God is for us in Christ. The folks who have embodied God's love for us. We know enough through their faith and witness. And finally, friends, we can always be sure of who God is for us in Christ whenever we gather at his table. Because it's here at the table where we're met and we're fed by our risen Lord. As we're nourished by him at his table, we might grow more and more into his image. We can know who God is for us in Christ. That God loves us and feeds us and sends us out to feed one another to be the beacons of hope and love in this world. Friends, we may not understand everything that's going on around us in the world, but we know enough. We know who will have the last word.